Also, verse 24, a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be considered to be the greatest. How typical of human nature. Our propensity to elevate ourselves. They began to question and then a dispute arose. Well, if someone's going to betray Jesus, and obviously that's the worst thing that anybody can do, well, it's not going to be me. In fact, I'm the greatest of this group. No, you're not. No way. I'm better than you are. I'm more important than you in our group. I'm entitled to greatness. We just can't seem to to help ourselves but elevate ourselves. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We put our rights and our entitlements above all else. We're so concerned about our rights and entitlements. And it's unbelievable in one sense in that just before supper, it could have been less than an hour ago, Jesus had washed their feet. Already they'd forgotten the object lesson that was performed before them. Already they'd shifted their focus off servanthood to being served. And this is not the first time. In Luke chapter 9, the disciples were again in dispute as to who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus took a little child, sat him on his lap, and he said, the one who is least among you is the greatest. Be like these little children. But don't the disciples represent us? We too are so quick to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, so quick to happily have others serve us, so quick to to place our rights and entitlements above others, not willing to serve, but be served. And so we come to John chapter 13. Let's read verses 3 to 5. And Hugh read this to us earlier on. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands... And that he had come from God and was returning to God. We've been looking into the book of Hebrews and we see that Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is described as the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He's sustaining all things by his powerful word. At his birth, the angels are called to worship him that he is now seated at the right hand of the majesty. And Jesus, knowing that he had come from God, is returning to God, also knew that his father had given all things under him, into his hands. John the Baptist, right back in the beginning, said, 
of Jesus, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. And Jesus declared in his high priestly prayer in John 17 that the Father had given him authority over all people to grant eternal life to those who would believe. In the Great Commission, we also hear these words, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So what does Jesus do? Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, he's returning to God, he rose from the supper, he laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. Um, What? He's come from God, he's going to God, He's been given all authority. He is the king. He sustains all things by his powerful word. He is the one who, through whom and for whom all things have been created, lays aside his garments and takes a towel. Paul describes in, in Philippians 2.7 as a bondservant, which in the Greek means a slave. Paul describes him as a slave. Here in John chapter 13, we see Jesus relinquishing his rights as the prince of heaven and girding himself as a servant, as a slave. He pours water into a bowl, he gets down onto his hands and knees and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. As the prince of heaven, he's entitled to five-star service but he relinquishes all rights and entitlements to serve. We struggle to relinquish what we think are our rights and entitlements because our culture pushes so hard that you're the most important person in the world and your opinion matters and our desires ought to be met Our culture is pushing that all the time. We want others to serve us and to bend to what we think we're entitled to. But Jesus relinquishes all rights and entitlements to wash feet and then be flogged, ridiculed, spat on, hung on a cross and left to die. relinquishes all rights and entitlements. The role of a servant required humility, whereby you accepted that your role was to serve. But it was also a position of great humiliation. Servants were not treated well. Servants were not given much in the way of respect. They were often the object of humiliation, mistreatment for their master's pleasure or humour. Jesus was performing the task of a Gentile slave. The washing of feet was not even for a, a Jewish slave. No, that's, let's get a Gentile to do that. A place of humility and humiliation. The prince of heaven washing his disciples' feet. Are we prepared to bow in humility 
and accept humiliation? Not too often. And we're told that the evening meal was being served. So they were partway through the meal. Jesus and his disciples were reclining at the table. They were being served. But evidently upon their arrival, there was no servant arranged, no Gentile servant available to wash their feet. And so they'd settled in for the Passover celebration. Jesus arose and began to wash their feet. Dirty, stinking Feet. Sweaty, dusty, dirty, stinking feet. And as he does this, he does it intentionally. He's not under, he's not under any outward compulsion. You need to do this, Jesus. But because he wanted to serve them and teach them what it means to live in service. They wore sandals and as they walked those dusty roads and streets, they'd probably removed those sandals when they came into the room, but they'd not thought to wash their own feet, nor those of anyone else. And I wonder, perhaps it was John's stinky feet not too far from Jesus' head as he reclines and prompted him. But rather than suggest, John, your feet stink, will you go and wash them? Jesus takes the opportunity to wash every disciple's feet. If it had been that John's feet were stinking, he wasn't going to make an example out of John and humiliate him, but he will wash every disciple's feet. He doesn't allow feelings of entitlement to keep him from serving others as he goes on to show that no one is too great to serve. And he demonstrates that our love is expressed, best expressed through acts of service. Verses 12 to 17. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? Oh, you've washed our feet. Um, you call me teacher and Lord... And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. After he'd washed their feet, he sat down and he asked them, do you know what I've done to you? Do you understand why I washed your feet? What am I trying to teach you? Jesus then set about trying to correct their prideful mindset their natural propensity to elevate self and push one's perceived push for one's perceived rights and entitlements i'm the greatest no i'll be greater than you he says you call me teacher and lord and you say well 
for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. No, don't go and wash each other's feet right now. I've just washed your feet. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He was their teacher. He was their Lord. He was the one who deserved to be served by them. He's the Prince of Heaven. He was quite within his rights to have them serve him. But he is keen to set them an example that turns their world, turns their culture on its head. The kingdom of heaven is an upside down kingdom. And we're forever fighting what our culture tries to tell us. And so he asks them, do you understand why I have done what I've just done? Why I've washed your feet? Do you get the message? Because if you do, then you'll put it into practice. If you really get the message, you will put this into practice. And one of the disciples, James, certainly does get it. I think they all do get it, but James, we know, says so. When he declares, faith without actions is dead. And he also wrote, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? Those who are poor in the eyes of the world. He also wrote, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, Jesus Jesus has always been more concerned about the heart than the head. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the mouth speaks what is in the heart. He said, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus wanted the position of the heart to line up with the head. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And I'm sure that Jesus knew well Proverbs 4.23, which says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Thus he says in verse 17, if you know these things, truly know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Many of us know what we should do, that we should serve others. But how many of us do really serve others? Knowing and doing and theory and practice are two separate things. There's a big difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. What's in our head must be translated to the heart before we'll have the drive or the motivation to actually put it into practice. And serving one another demonstrates our love for one another. Flows from the heart. And Jesus showed us by example that serving one another in love often means relinquishing what we believe are our rights and entitlements. Putting them aside. 
In Philippians 2, Paul put it this way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind be in you. Be prepared to be a servant. A slave for the kingdom of God. Bow in humility, accept humiliation, all for the glory of God, so that God is glorified. Let this mind be in you. Yet so often our mindset is no different to that of the disciples. At times, we're just like them. We hear the teaching We understand the the teaching in God's word. We get it. We understand the intention behind that, that which God is trying to challenge us with. And then we immediately revert back to being more concerned about our rights and entitlements, what we think we're entitled to, rather than responsibilities and obligations. What are our responsibilities? What are our obligations to live for Jesus. So can we just take a few moments just to sit quietly and reflect? I encourage you to continue to think about just what Jesus is, the example that Jesus has set for you, for us. In the parable of the talents, we're told that the one who the master was pleased with and the one that the master rewarded was not only faithful but was a servant. Jesus said that the master would declare this, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Good and faithful servant. May we seek to be faithful servants of our God as we learn from his example.